I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. ES Audio. I'm Nick Clark. I'm Nancy Durrant. And I'm Nick Curtis. Coming up on today's show, we'll be reviewing Stephen Sondheim's old friends at the Gielgud Theatre. That stars Leah Salonga and Bonnie Langford, and making her West End debut, Broadway legend Bernadette Peters. For our second review, it's Close Up, the Twiggy musical. That's written and directed by Ben Elton and is now on at the Many a Chocolate Factory. And we'll be joined by Conversations with Friends star Alison Oliver. I went to like stage schools and stuff like that in Cork when I was a kid and just loved the stage so much and, you know, live theatre. And I graduated college during the pandemic, so theatre was kind of quiet when I was graduating and that's always been my dream is to be on stage. Alison is starring as Portia in Portia Coughlin at the Almeida Theatre. Welcome back to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Nick Curtis, I will let you kick off with the big news of the week. Yeah, well, the big news for us this week, and if you have not spotted it online yet, is that the 67th Evening Standard Theatre Awards have been announced. It's going to happen, folks. (laughs) Um, They're coming back bigger than last year, as that was their first year post-COVID. It was a a relatively small one then, Mm. uh, for for obvious reasons. This year, the ceremony will be hosted by the newspaper's proprietor, Lord Lebedev, with the help of co-host David Harewood, Vanessa Kirby, Sienna Miller, and no less than Sir Ian McKay. Ellen, yeah, alumnus mm. of this podcast, indeed, and it'll be presented by the brilliant Susan Wacoma. Oh, you know, she's sort so of great! I mean, that is some lineup. It's a, pre- oh, it's it's a be really cool. It's a pretty good lineup. I mean, just delighted to see these names. You know, David mm. Harewood, I've interviewed a number of times over the years. Vanessa Kirby, I did one of the first interviews she ever did, I think, when she was in Three Sisters at the Young Vic a million years ago. And it's just amazing what huge, huge stars these people yeah. are now turning out to support the, the theatre. You know, that, that nurtured them. I know it's so exciting. Last year would have been my first because I joined just yeah. pre-COVID and the date moved and I was at a wedding so I couldn't go so this is actually going to be my first ever proper Evening Standard Theatre Awards ah, yeah. it's going to be uh, it's you, my dress dry clean yeah. <laughs> yeah. my you, dress the you, only dress you're going to have a blast Stephen Daldry once said to me he always loved these Theatre Awards because they felt like the, the, the sort of starting gun for the party season yeah, nice. you know it's all sort of downhill to, to Christmas from here, really, you know. so <laughs> when that drunk from that night exactly absolutely. November the 19th, from that night onwards continuously yes. until well the that is the high point isn't it it is only downhill it is um, I can't obviously reveal the uh, the shortlist of the awards because we're going to be choosing the winners mm-hmm. next week but it's looking it's good it's it's a really it's a really good year oh, it's, it's and that list is coming pretty soon it's going to be published pretty soon so keep an eye on the uh, standards website or on our, on our social media feeds it'll be you know you'll be pleasantly and delighted and surprised I think. hooray 
So one piece of news this week, I don't know if you saw it, but um, Just Stop Oil invaded Les Miserables in the middle of uh, the show. I read a really fun piece by a former um, writer for me at the stage called um, Fergus Morgan, who has an excellent substack. But he talked about how, how fitting it was yeah. that this show and that scene particularly, just as the actors about to man the barricades, was for them to charge in at that, at that point. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to protest, really, uh, if you're in the audience for you come to see a show about protest. It was a piece in the, uh, I think uh, it was certainly out in one of their emails today in The Times, uh, mm. where, where their, their critic does not agree no, with Fergus he Morgan. Not. He thinks that the theatre is no place for protest, which I thought was a really, really <laughs> weird thing right. to say. Yeah. Till that's was, the 1970s. Well, <laughs> really. but his argument was something to do with, well, it was, was, was along the lines of like, people have paid good money for this, it's not fair. Uh, yeah. But protest is not, it's not convenient. Mm. It's, it's not convenient. And yeah. I think they finished the show, I realise it means that... No, know, it was cancelled and they got oh, refunded. Oh, I mean, they got, they got their money back and it is annoying and obviously people are there for a good night, but in the grand scheme of things and the environment crashing around our ears and maybe well, it's not the worst you know, you mm. in the think, entire world. You know, yeah, one night of Les Mis yeah. lost is... Yeah, you sort of think, you know, the suffragettes famously <laughs> inconvenienced people, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, they did, yeah. yeah. Including artworks, uh, slashing yeah. one right yes, through the one the picture yeah. at the National Gallery. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's very And true. here no one was hurt. It was just a mild inconvenience, I think. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> but yes, in a show about revolutions <laughs> and up upending the normal order, I think, yeah, you, know, you know, good good choice. Well, <laughs> it's not, to, not to be snippy, but actually, you know, having a... a some bit of excitement in Les Mis is quite <laughs> <laughs> You've seen it too many times. Yeah, I've seen it too many times. Yeah. I can hear the people sing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get into our first review? Yep. Let's this do. one is Stephen Sondheim's Old Friends. But, baby. That's Leah Salonga singing Coming Up Roses from Gypsy uh, in a performance which the night I saw it I thought would probably send the first three rows deaf and blind. It was so powerful. Um, it's one of many of Sondheim's numbers featured in this musical which will, well, we'll get to it all. But I haven't seen it yet. You guys have seen it mm. but I, I'm, I'm desperate to because it just sounds like a it just sounds like a bit of a laugh. There are more than uh, 40 songs from various musicals yeah it's about um, so Sondheim wrote 15 mu- completed musicals I think as as composer and uh, lyricist a few others as just lyricist and one as just uh, one uncompleted I think mm. not quite got my facts there right but check Wikipedia you'll find yeah, it out close enough, close anyway enough. this is an entertainment arranged by Cameron McIntosh yeah. uh, and sundry other sort of friends of Stephen Sondheim it's directed mm. by Matthew Bourne it's directed it? by Matthew yeah. Bourne Julia McKenzie yeah. who you know is one of the great sort of British renderers of Sondheim had some sort of role she was role. co-directing I think as well yeah. yeah so it's it's very very much focused on the on the shows that Macintosh produced yeah. on Sondheim over here and the majority of tunes you've heard of Absolutely. are all in it yes so. yeah so I mean to name but a few companies in there Sweeney mm. Todd I mean <laughs> West Side Story there's uh, Sunday in the Park with George there's Follies there's Into the Woods I mean anything you can think of yeah. it is there really yeah. uh, rendered by this sort of 
cream of the crop of both sides of the yes. Atlantic of people who have been in Sondheim shows and have known Sondheim and, you know, go back decades uh, with him in some cases. So I bet this is selling really well. I bet It, it I was full last night when I saw it and I imagine... Because, I mean, it all started, you know, Stephen Sondheim died in 2021 yeah. and this sort of outpouring of love for him. Uh, they put on a one-off gala and the... <laughs> the, the scrum for tickets was <laughs> extraordinary. So they've decided basically to have a, put it on for a couple of months in London. And it is not a piece of theatre in the sense of a dramatic arc of one story, but yeah. it was just banger after banger, hit yeah. after hit. It it is, it's a greatest great. hits package, it and really they are is. great, and there are a huge number yeah. of them. It's but just... you've, you've never seen um, Sweeney Todd, have you? No. Did you like Try the Priest? I was like, yeah. yesterday to Nick in the office, I was like, oh my God, it's always my favourite. Try, yeah. 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 Try the Priest so was good. superb. And what's great is uh, there are some, some of the musicals where there's one or two tunes, but there's a couple where they really focus on it. I mean, it is obviously one for the Sondheim fanatics, but as not a non-Sondheim fanatic, and actually someone who came to it quite late, Mm. I found it a really, really exhilarating evening in the theatre. I mean, I've got to say, I've always been nervous of Sondheim. I mm. came quite late to musicals and I, I love them now, but it took me a while. Yeah. But Sondheim, I always felt sort of that was the real musical theatre, you know, uh, aficionados. I've yeah. always thought of Sondheim as being the easiest one to get into oh. if you don't like musicals, though, because like right. so many people say they don't like musicals because they're a bit like, ah, hands, why are these people singing? <laughs> you know, and it's like, but whereas with Sondheim, the words are so clever. It's very intelligent. It's very knowing and urban. It's very obey. Yeah. It, I always assumed it would just be so much easier. But it's than... probably not quite as hooky as some of those ones you yeah, were thinking of. I think you have to work a little bit harder, but it really pays off once yeah. you have. It doesn't give you that easy exuberance yeah. that musicals have, you know, of, of sort of very stark emotions. You know, there's, mm. It's always quite la- ladled with irony that you yeah. it's on time, isn't it? But, well, it uh, really undercuts a lot of the, and I'm going to use a wanky word here, but tropes and things like that. So if you know about that stuff, you've seen a lot of musicals and you really get into it, you get it really pings off so but actually as i realized last night you don't need to know a lot of the yeah, stuff no. at all i mean david benedict wrote an essay in the program really excellent essay about sondheim but he said essentially his work is he's, he called it an, a, an astonishingly eclectic catalogue of dramatically and musically demanding musicals none of which can be categorized as easy listening for large but lazy audiences yeah. and i think that's what i found and i read an interview with um, a lot of the cast and leah salonga this great broadway star being one and she said she always found sondheim difficult which is really interesting and she said actually as she got older she could access it a lot easier and I feel probably exactly the same I felt a bit like a fanboy here um, Bernadette Peters you know as we say broad, Broadway legend making her West End debut I do mean you, blimey do you know how <laughs> she's 75 I know she's what? 75 I couldn't believe yes. it um, she make her, made her stage debut I looked this up yeah. 1958 wow and she's here amazing. in 2023 knocking it out she the park she looks incredible I mean yeah, I she would does. say I would say she's not the strongest voice on stage but it doesn't matter it's mm. Bernadette freaking Peters yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. It, it is extraordinary it, that I think is a sign of, of the sort of affection with, with, mm. with which Sondheim was held, the loyalty that people felt towards yeah. him. Leah Salonga, I remember seeing in the original Miss Saigon yes, over right. here, I think, you know, years ago, and I haven't yeah. seen her since. And I had to actually email uh, one of the PR people overnight and say, mm. was that her doing Mrs. Lovett? In, yes, uh, I was thinking Sweeney the exact Todd same. Because most of the time she is this sort of very recognisable, mm. um, the sort of default look here is is sort of black suits and yes. black dresses, sort of very elegant. style stuff, very elegant. Um, but as she's unrecognisable as mm. Mrs. Lovett. And she's wonderful at it. It really does a rather possible Cockney accent. It was only when I saw the photo of it the day after in in the interview that I was like, that was, oh my goodness, that was a real transfer. And actually that speaks to how much money and how much kind of care and attention Cameron McIntosh has put into this production. Amazing sets roll on and roll off. And the choreography by Stephen Meir 
I mean, it's really done sometime justice, I think. It really has. And they do also, I mean, it's not just black suits and black dresses. Mm. They do, you know, the, for the Into the Woods section, they, they put on a sort of, some sort of fairy tale. Gear. Yeah, yeah. There are a few sort of costume nods, which are, so it's a stylish, it's a really, you know, high production value <laughs> evening. Also, I don't want it to, to just be about the Americans, because no. there's some seriously good Brits in this cast, sort of young and not so young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Diplomatically. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bonnie Langford. I just, I, what a My what notes a afterwards just say, Bonnie Langford, exclamation mark. She, yes. it was high kick. <laughs> doing the splits and then knocking out the park with a tune afterwards it yeah, was incredible yeah. she's uh, I, I interviewed her once when she was going she was playing Peter Pan in Panto and she was you know sort of middle-aged at that point and bless her she brought her own lunch in I interviewed her in this travelogue near, near Lambeth Bridge and she got this sort of filled bap that she'd brought in with her uh, and she was you know, they, they only rehearsed Panto for like a week but she was um, going up she was saying oh I'm flying this afternoon oh, so having to get back in a flying harness you know after having uh, two kids and whatever you know blah 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 so yeah she's absolutely wonderful in this she sings I'm here yes. uh, from Follies which is just just absolutely brilliant I thought the version that was done at the National mm. was pretty unimprovable mm. but her one here I think you know it's, is almost definitive and me. as you said there's other I mean huge Janie D I love in absolutely yeah. everything and here she brought the house down and I've now you've got the, the song list but a sort of riff on the girl from Ipanema um, yes and it's she it's made just called it, the boy from wrote the boy from <laughs> and it brought the house down yes I mean she's got real comic chops Janie yeah, D she's yes. very, and, very good and right. of course Joanna Riding, another absolute star. Love Joanna Riding, absolutely. And there were some new faces that yeah. I didn't know. I mean, Jack Yarrow, who is a sort of coming star of, of musical theatre, who I was aware of. Beatrice Penny Torre, I've never seen on stage mm. before, I don't think, but uh, you know, she holds her own absolutely mm-hmm. with these, um, you know, these veterans and troopers. So yeah, yeah it was. It, it, it's you know, it's it's great. It's a really lovely tribute to a real proper titan of uh, of musical theatre. Absolutely, well, that one's a rave. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, but it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They really liked it. Uh, yeah, it, we, we'll tell you what we really think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those that you you do you leave the theatre and you feel absolutely joyous. It flew by. It was two and a half hours. I mean, with an interval, but it absolutely flew by for me. And it isn't one where you have to again feel worried that you don't know all the songs. So yeah. it will introduce you to a whole new world. I think it certainly has with, with me. It brought back to me the recent revivals of Company and Follies. Oh yeah, and little wonderful music. Um, made me wish that we'd had that Sunday in the Park with Jake which was supposed to happen before Cameron McIntosh if you're listening it's about time we had another Sweeney Todd though I think it's been a few years since London's had a a proper well wasn't that there was an amazing one in a pie shop that then went over to New York that's right yes which I missed down in Tooting yes that was gutted I missed that yes I'm gutted I missed that right let's go to the ads after the break Nick Curtis is going to be at the Almeida with Alison Oliver for Porsche Cobbler 
Hello, I'm Joseph Fiennes and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. With me this week is Alison Oliver, who you will know from her TV role in uh, Conversations with Friends, but also she's lit up various stages over recent years in Dancing at Lunasa at the National, in Women Were the Devil at the Almeida, and now in Portia Coughlin at the Almeida. Alison, welcome. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us on this. Um, well, for those of us, I, I thought I'd seen Portia Coughlin before and reading it, I realised I ha- actually hadn't. So could you just outline what it's about? Yeah, so um, Portia Coughlin is um, a play by Marina Carr, and it follows a third year-old woman called Portia and the the play is set on her 30th birthday and she is grieving the loss of her um, twin brother who died 15 years ago so this kind of anniversary mark is quite significant because she's lived half her life with him and now half her life without him and she feels huge unrest and uh, and guilt about his his death and um, we're kind of just following her over these um, couple of days, pr- processing that. Right. Um, Marina Carr writes in a very specific way, a very sort of specific argot. How's, yeah. How easy is that to sort of uh, <laughs> wrap yourself around? I, it's, it's so extraordinary to work on because I think so much of the dialect and the, the voice and the accent kind of unlocks the characters, I find. They all speak in such a muscular way and such a kind of poetic way as well I think there's huge poeticism in her language that is true of of the communities that she's writing about they speak in quite everyday colloquial language but then within that there's like huge kind of relationship to the natural world and how they speak about you know um like the the river is a huge theme in this play Mm. um and Portia has a huge connection to that river and the kind of poetic language in which she kind of speaks about it in her everyday speech with, with the people that she interacts with is so kind of stunning. You would know if it's a marina play, if you, you know, Absolutely. if you weren't told. It's, yeah. it's really How amazing. close is the accent to your Cork accent? It'd be quite different, actually. It's it's rural Offaly. Yeah, and I'm from Cork. So it's quite flat um, and kind of drawn out. And she actually has a version of this play that's kind of phonetically written in the language so we've been looking at that a lot which has been really helpful and there seems to be quite a sort of as you say the, the river is very important in the play yeah. there seems to be a real sort of potent connection to the landscape yeah almost a mystical one would yes. that be right do you think absolutely i think there's a huge theme in the play about a kind of certain level of transcendence that i think all of the characters are kind of searching for because they're all living i think i think marina might have i could be wrong but i think she described then one day is like they're all mad goblins looking for the light, <laughs> looking up from the bog, searching for the light or something like that. And, and there's a kind of a darkness within their community or, or all of their lives. And so this kind of search for the other or can they be freed from them, themselves or what else is out there is is really vital for all of them. And I think specifically for Portia, what she's been through already in her life is kind of extraordinary she's been through huge grief and huge trauma like it's been really interesting exploring her psychologically because I think when someone has been through something so enormous I think trauma kind of unlocks certain parts of your brain or blocks it out and so she kind of has access to really deep things and and really kind of profound things um and I think you see that her exploring that throughout the play of of you know, the other world or the mystery of where 
her brother Gabriel lives mm. and, and what that is and can she access it. Yes. You're playing slightly above your age here, aren't you? And yes. Portia is a mother of three boys yes. as well, isn't yes. she? Whereas yes. to now you've, you've tended to play, you know, sort of relatively youthful characters yeah. of, of, of about or below your own age, haven't you? How's that getting your sort of headspace into, into Portia? Yeah, I mean, Carrie Cracknell, our director, was, has been amazing and like, she has three kids herself and um, that was something that we really wanted to kind of make feel real and 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 the kids never appear in the play but we really want to make them feel like they're they're there and they're a big part of her obviously of her life and you know I think the play is as much about Portia grieving her brother as it is about grieving herself and her own life because she you know two years after her brother died she was kind of really encouraged by her dad into this marriage when she was 17 and then started having kids at 19 so she has kind of grown up at a rapid pace but not processed a lot in, of, of what's happened in her life and so I think she has the, these huge responsibilities and expectations on her but I think she's still almost a part of her is capped at 15 where she, where she kind of her life changed drastically but I think yeah just really kind of um, exploring the experience of motherhood and her specific experience of motherhood has been very important for me to, to feel very real and immediate throughout the play so yeah yeah can we talk a little bit about dancing at lunasa how was yeah, that as a yeah. show to work on oh my god that was such an extraordinary experience for me and you know i've known that play since i'm a kid and and loved it i've seen it so, done so many times and the cast that josie rourke who directed it that she brought together i just felt like was 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 so exciting because i had never worked in the national before and um and kind of getting to come and do a play in the olivier with a full irish cast and we had tom riley who played the the um english welsh character in it but it was just so exciting and um and i think brian freel would probably be my favorite um male playwright and um i think there's something particularly about that play you know, exploring kind of memory or nostalgia that I found so deeply moving. Mm. Um, and it's one of those ones that I think when people came to see that reminded them of their auntie or their granny or, yeah. you know, I, I have older sisters. And even though it's set in 1930s, there were so many kind of patterns or themes that reminded me so much of my own life. And it was just a deeply like exciting and moving experience It's something I think that was very close to his own heart, wasn't it, Brian? Yeah, Because it yeah, was sort yeah, of semi-autobiographically yeah. about his own sisters and his own family, yeah, wasn't it? it was, yeah. There's a, I, well, I actually went sister, to... his mother's sister, sorry, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah so his, his, I think that it's it's kind of loosely based on his, yeah, his mother and, mm. and, and um, her sisters. And I, before we started, I actually went to the Glenties in Donegal to see, because the, the house is still there right. that he spent those summers in. And, um, Kind of in a in a weird way, like Portia Coughlin, the relationship to the space and the land and, and, and where those things take place. I think you can feel in the play of like the relationship to the environment. And I think Dancing at Lunasa in particular, like has this real kind of, I don't know, like nostalgia feeling that even though you weren't there, it feels like you were there or something, the way it's written. Yeah. But him having kind of that reference point of an actual 
you know, it's not directly, but it's it's very kind of tied into to what he did experience. I think you can really feel that within the language. And I met him and his lovely wife at oh, the Evening wow. Standard Theatre Awards just towards the end of his, his oh, life. And I don't he ended up carrying his award round for him because he, <laughs> he was physically a very small man and oh, he was quite sort oh of gosh. frail at that stage. And those things are heavy. <laughs> <laughs> the poor chap couldn't oh, actually lift it up on stage. But he was, he was an utterly, utterly charming man. Yeah. And I sort of treasure that memory of just talking to him and his missus in the bar afterwards. It was really great. Oh my God. Um, I know you can't talk about TV and film projects because of the actor's strike, which we all heartily support yes. here. Um, yeah. You've got your start on TV, but you've done quite a lot of theatre yeah. since. Is, is theatre your main focus? Do you like to mix it up? Is there, you know... Yeah, I think, I mean, like, I came to acting as a kid through theatre, like, um, you know, like amateur drama. I went to, like, stage schools and stuff like that in Cork when I was a kid and, and just loved the stage so much and, you know, live theatre and... I graduated college during the pandemic yeah. and so theatre was kind of quiet when I was graduating and um, it was something that I always, you know, that that's always been my dream is to be on stage and then getting to do TV and film. I love that so much and I think it offers such a different thing. I always kind of see it as kind of, I don't know, it's like different um, levels or something like that and I think there's something about being on a stage and getting to you know, it's it's as much as what you develop with people in the room, but also I think then the the audience. Like I think that to- I I find it really informs uh, the performance or how the show goes, and um, I just find that kind of immediate reaction so thrilling. So I'm delighted <laughs> to be doing lots of theatre this year because I really missed it. Great. So yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, I read that you're based in Dalston now. Is that right? Well, yeah. So I, I moved. I moved to London about. I think. I think it's about a year and a half ago or two years, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, and I'm living in Peckham. It's funny. There's I I I purely moved there because it was just I was just looking for accommodation and that's where yeah. it came up. But actually, a lot of. Um, Irish people actually are in South London it's a big um, spot for that but my one of my sisters lives in Dalston and um, when I uh, did the play here the last time I stayed with her and she's very kindly letting me stay with her again for the previews because it's just so close so yes, I'll absolutely. be here for the next week Are you a so. Londoner now or do you still regard yourself as I, an Irish woman? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm, I'm here all the time I, yeah. you know and I always like getting back to Ireland as much as I can and I know that eventually I will go back to Ireland I think I'll you know I have a huge relationship to to home um but I think just in terms of work and stuff I it, it's kind of um this is where I I'm basing myself but I I wish I kind of got home more than I I do but yeah right. hopefully well, more <laughs> what's the best thing and the worst thing about London oh god <laughs> <laughs> I mean I still I think I'm definitely used to it now but I remember when I first moved over I couldn't get over how you had to like allocate an hour to get everywhere (laughs) just because if I was traveling an hour say like in Cork you'd be in like the next county or something like I just my brain for ages couldn't really fathom that but then um no I think I'm kind of used to it now I've gotten into like podcasts and music and all that so um and my favorite thing is well, I think it's probably actually the same. It's linked to its kind of expansiveness and how, you know, there's always something going on and there's always something new to see or to do. And um, I, uh, luckily, a lot of my friends from drama school are over here now and, and school and my sisters are here and stuff. So 
it is very it's a very exciting place to be i think in your in your 20s absolutely yeah great yeah terrific alison oliver thank you very much thank you so much for having me Portia Coughlin is on at the Almeida until September the 18th. Let's go to the ads. In part three, we'll be reviewing the Twiggy musical. In the meantime, why not give us a follow? Hi, I'm Marisha Wallace, and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. You've seen some other stuff uh, this week. You saw something really fun. Yes, I saw Noises Off, the great Michael Frayn farce. Mm -hmm. I'd never seen it before, to my absolute shame. And... It just builds and builds. It really lived up to all of the hype that I'd heard. It, it started off as a sort of classic old school English fast, trousers down, doors open, doors nothing, shutting. Nothing on. Of, then the second part of it is behind the scenes while this play is going on and it's further down the, the tour and things are fraying quite spectacularly. And the third part is at the very final performance, it's the front again and how it's completely fallen apart. And something happened to me that has not happened to me in the theatre for, I would say, several decades, in which I just couldn't stop laughing by the end. I think my wife was sort of looking askance (laughs) at the uh, sort of guffawing idiot next to her by the end of it. But, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed it. And what was lovely, Michael Frame was there. Yes. And he came out on stage and sort of, you know, waved to everyone. And there was a genuine love for this great, great British playwright. He's 90 years old now. um, And, I mean, he's, he's very gracious about this this has been his greatest hit and it is bulletproof you know he's written all these incredibly intelligent other plays like Copenhagen Mm. and um, you know wonderful wonderful stuff he is the person whose brain I would most like to have you know you could argue his merits against versus Stoppard or whatever Mm. but I just love his life and the way his mind works very gracious about the continued success of this play because every time it goes on that's the reaction it gets I saw this production in its slightly earlier life when it had a slightly different cast but he had a good time at uh, shooting Hedda Garber at the Rose Theatre who's who's writer and star you loved that didn't you interviewed on the podcast yeah it's just, it was just really 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 interesting mm. you know not perfect but um, but very very smart using Hedda Gabler set on a contemporary film set in Norway yeah. to uh, explore things like coercive control um, but Antonia Thomas in the lead I thought was, was really sort of riveting to watch and really really interesting it's very stylish and very cool in a way that theatre sort of rarely is as well you know it just looks really 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 cool and uh, yeah I think beautiful job of, of sort of adapting and updating the uh, the story from Nina Siegel. Now it's time for Close Up the Twiggy Musical. So this is a show about the life of Leslie Hornby, who was much more famously known as Twiggy as her modelling career took off. Guys, is this show fit for the catwalk? Oh, mate. <laughs> I mate. Know. I mean, I... <laughs> Getting twiggy with it. The audience around me loved it. They loved it. They loved it. They loved it. They loved it. As I was walking out, there was an elderly lady. <laughs> Not just one, but this particular elderly lady turned to me and said, wasn't it wonderful? And I didn't really know what to say. Because I didn't. Well, the answer is no. The answer is, is, as far as I'm confirmed, definitively no. Yeah. But I said that I thought that many of the performances were splendid, which I think is true. But 
As far as I'm concerned, this is a musical that would have been better as a New Yorker profile. Yeah, yeah. Go on, Nick. It's a very, it's a it's a compilation musical, so it's using sort of apposite songs of the times. Yeah. Uh, to sort of illustrate um, what sort of famous ones we know. Story. Yeah, I mean, sort of some, some. Yeah. I mean, actually, <laughs> clearly the audience, right? Like you know, the audience was a hundred percent. Well, on the night I went, the, sorry, the the matinee I went, so it makes it even more likely. The audience was one hundred percent white and ninety nine percent considerably older than me. I was going to say I thought you a hundred years old. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but they were very, very much older than me, and they did know quite a lot of the songs, right. especially including the ones I didn't know. It's a sort of whistle stop tour of the of the greatest hits of the early part of her career. It sort of stops rather abruptly around about nineteen eighty one, I think, doesn't it? So you only get the sort of rise and then the reinvention as a, a sort of actress and musical theatre performer. Yeah, and you know what? I didn't know quite a lot of her stuff. She's yeah. clearly very accomplished. I didn't know about her, you know, how accomplished she was as a designer, you know, that she basically no. started out making clothes rather than just modelling them. So there is a story to be told here, but it is told not very well and I think that's because Ben Elton's curse of prolificness, basically, you know, he, he, he churns out so much material, you know, novels, stage shows, TV programmes, stand-up tours, I just wonder, you know, how much focus he ever has on any one particular thing. And here, it just feels really, really scanty, really sort of skimpy. She narrates the whole thing. The whole thing is narrated. Every single Mm. bit of it. It's her telling a story. There's no showing. Mm. It's all addressed directly to the audience. It feels really lazy. Given given it's about Twiggy, I was rather pleased with myself that I described it as pretty thin stuff. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I sort of sense slightly... Elton being at war with himself, that him sort of adoring the whole 60s scene and the whole, you know, and the sort of blokiness of it and the sort of slightly, wow, look at these gorgeous girls, you know, in their miniskirts and stuff like that. But he's also constantly trying to sort of retrofit, oh, retrofit God, he it. Wants a so bloody medal. putting he a sort really of feminist does. spin on, on stuff and, you know, showing how Twiggy was sort of gaslit and exploited by boyfriends and managers and, and the like. Nowadays, we'd call that toxic masculinity, but in those days, no one really said a word. Yeah, it's all. you know, things were different. <laughs> like, but this like over and over again it's yeah. just like I think that's called gaslighting you know oh exactly. please it's almost <laughs> like you can see Ben Elton putting on one of those big foam fingers that they <laughs> have in American football games and wagging it at us every five yeah. minutes or so but also sort of wagging it at himself because he's getting maybe getting a bit too sort of into the into the whole 60s sexism stuff I mean Elena Sky plays Twiggy she's fine she's I think you right. know she yeah. sings okay she's got no energy no and her movement like she's it's She's very listless. There's no for a woman who I think she won a Golden Globe, Twiggy, didn't she? For one of the films that was she it, the boyfriend, I think, possibly. yeah, yes, which had yes. a lot of dancing in it, yeah. And yet, Elena Skye, who plays her, you're never convinced that that girl could ever get to the point where she would kind of convince you as someone singing and dancing. Uh, and then later on Broadway, where, where yeah. Twiggy got um, nominated for a Tony. Yeah, yeah. And it, But it's just, she's just sort of like listlessly waving her arms about and, and belting out the song. Yes. And like everyone else around her is absolutely hoofing the living hell out of it <laughs> somehow to make up for the kind of lack of energy at the kind of eye of the store yeah it's really it's really weird there's her first boyfriend Justin de Villeneuve uh, keeps sort of interrupting the action this, this I actually w- thought he was really funny yeah he was quite funny <laughs> he's sort of, sort of ridiculous but I mean the, her her husband and the father of her daughter who sort of yeah, trundles Whitney. on Michael Whitney later on this sort of played fa- by Darren Day played by Darren Day Darren this sort Day. of phony cowboy uh, who comes 
comes on wearing a sort of leather lounge jacket and an open neck shirt and you just think oh god this is just the songs they fit him out with are just uh, just awful busset clenchingly embarrassing the direction is really it's really basic yeah and there's like so i remember that they gave one song when she's leaving him finally leaving him because he you know he's a lovely man who turns out to be a terrible drunk yeah and um she she finally kind of gets up the courage and, and everything to walk out the door and he sings this song but he sort of sings it kind of waving sort of pointing at the wings where she's left and you're kind of like no 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 you're singing a song right so you can do that to us now like you don't have to pretend that you're talking to a woman who left 3 minutes ago it's really really strange it's yeah. like it's just got no imagination to it considering the whole thing is directed at the audience and then you know he sort of ignores them during his sort of huge number yeah. i just want to talk very briefly about some of the cast yeah. Aoife Dunn uh, who plays Leslie's friend or Twiggy's friend uh, Cindy her Irish friend from school and also um, Lauren Azania, AJ King Yombo, who plays her mate Kay. Yeah. I thought they were both really, really good. They were snappy, they had great comic chops, their timing was good, their singing was good. They just yeah. sort of, every time they popped on stage, they lifted the energy a little bit, and I really liked that. And I also thought that Stephen Serlin, with his incredibly strong northern accent for um, Norman Hornby, who was Twiggy's dad, yeah. was really, was very, very moving, actually. Yes. Just, you know, he kind of embodied that sort of kindness and sense of fun and his um, care for his daughter and his wife who had these terrible um, depressions and would be taken away actually for long periods of time for electroconvulsive therapy when essentially what she probably had was postnatal depression after the birth of Twiggy who was her third daughter um, you know, and he kind of stood by her and, and cared for her. That felt like a really rounded character that had been rounded out by the actor and by yeah. his performance. And yes. I thought that was really lovely. Well, these cast members deserve better. Tweed deserve yeah. better, I think, really. You know, the songs of the 60s and 70s deserved better use than they're put to here, really. It's just a massive missed opportunity. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, although I have to say there was one number, one number that has been stuck in my head for the days since, and I saw this about about half a week ago, which was a rewriting of, um, and I don't know what the name of the song is, but it's that one that goes, Right Said Fred, time to do the... You know, it's whatever. called Right Said it's Fred, right it's said a Bernard Fred. Cribbins one and originally, it, and yes. And the two elder daughters and the dad, while the mum is away, having to look after baby Leslie... They do a remade version of that about the fact that the baby can't stop shitting. They can't can't keep on top of it. And it's actually really funny. (laughs) So I really enjoyed that. But other than that, I I was just a bit like, God, am I still here? If listeners take away one thing from a a podcast that has been glorying in the musicianship of Stephen Sondheim, I really hope it is not about a song (laughs) right said friends about a baby shitting. I feel, I, I don't want this to be character assassination I mean I've, I've um, you know I know people who know Ben Elton mm. who speak incredibly highly of him mm. I've, met, I've interviewed him a couple of times and you know I think he is a good thing I just wish sometimes he would rein it in a bit you know be a bit more subtle spend a bit more time on things you know rather than just banging things out one after the other because I think this is the result really I think there could be just a lot more showing and a lot less telling yes what actually turned out to be quite an interesting story um, was sort of lost yeah 
Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Check out all our other episodes below, which include guests such as Joseph Fiennes, Antonia Thomas, to Ian McKellen and Roger Allen, and many, many more. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss us. Thanks to our producer, Rachel Abbott, and we'll see you next Sunday.